want to remind you we will have service tonight uh, and uh, invite you to come. I'm going to suggest, we're, by the way, we're in the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at chapter 10 of the book of Revelation after moving away for just a little bit uh, on, uh, at Christmas. Uh, but at Christmas, we talked about angels, as we always have, and we're going to be talking about angels here again, one angel in particular here on this Sunday morning. But I want to suggest to you a way of looking at the book of Revelation that might be helpful to you. As you read it, it might help you to understand it. Uh, many people take this book as if it were written in a linear fashion. In other words, that it's a number line that starts over here and it just moves in one direction this way all the way to the end. They even take the seven churches and say the seven churches are linear in terms of time and they represent seven church ages in the book of Revelation. That's one legitimate way of looking at the book. There are other people who take the book of Revelation as a series of cycles. There are cycles of seven in the book. Each one of those cycles takes you to what looks like the end, but when you get there, you realize it's not the end. What you have is, is simply the beginning of another cycle. You saw that in chapter 6, when uh, our chapter uh, the chapters about the six seals that went, or the seven seals, that when the six seals were broken, the sky was split apart like a scroll. All the stars fell from heaven, and the kings of the earth and the great men, all the people of the earth, began to cry for the rocks and trees to fall on them and hide them from uh, the wrath of him who sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And that certainly looked like the end, but it was not the end, really. It was just the beginning of the end because what, what you have after that is seven trumpets and then you have other things along the way. So there's some ways of, of looking at the book. But over the years, uh, especially uh, as I have developed, uh, studied the book and, and looked at it, and I'm not a theologian, I'm not a scholar, I'm just a pastor who's uh, had time over the years to read the book and study it in, in one fashion or another. I've come to look at the book as, as a layered book. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. When I was growing up in elementary school, my parents got me a set of popular science books. I'm not talking about magazines. <clears throat> These were blue books. It was a set of encyclopedias uh, almost. Each one was the size of an encyclopedia, <clears throat> and it was just full of scientific things and and I consumed those books. I just love them. But I suppose one of my favorite parts about those books was the section on the human body. Because in that section on the human body, there were these pictures. I call them transparency pages. Some of you will have seen these, I'm sure. You'll remember those from your background in school or as a child. And the first page might just be the page uh, with a skeleton on it. And that, that's all it was was a skeleton and then you turned a transparency page and laid over that skeleton was um, the organs perhaps the organs of the body all the organs of the body and where they would fit into the body and then over that would be the next layer would be the the, uh, the transparency that had all the muscles and ligaments of the body and they would be laid over that now I might be getting the order out a little bit, but you understand what I'm saying. And finally, there would be that other transparency page which would put skin on the body. And you'd have all of these layers, each picture a different picture, but a different picture of 
the same thing. I'm, I guess an MRI does the same thing. It sort of layers sections in, in when it looks at things, it examines it. And so what John is doing is he's giving us layers. I see pictures. And so each of these pictures, as you look at it in the book of Revelation, does not give you a whole picture of what's happening, but each one is a partial picture, laid one on top of the other, and when you do, everything begins to come together. I think if you will look at it in that way, that might help you get your head around it a little bit more than trying to look at it in a linear fashion, but that is up to you. But that's how I see John lays out this book. Well, our last chapter, we looked at the opening of the bottomless pit and the swarms of demons and the horses with breathing smoke and fire and brimstone out of their nostrils so that at the end of chapter 9, one-third of all the people on the earth had been killed. Well, we've already seen in another section when the seals were opened, one-third or one-fourth of the people on the earth. So one-fourth of the people in a previous chapter and now one-third of the people of the earth in this chapter have been killed. And, and the final trumpet is about to sound, and certainly when it does, it will be over. But we've seen in each of the cases uh, where there are these series of sevens that there's a pause, a scene change, and in this chapter, chapter 10, there's going to be an announcement about the seventh trumpet, but the seventh trumpet doesn't sound. Instead, John is the recipient of a new vision, and he's given a new commission. And so now we want to look at chapter 10. I'm going to read the entire, entire chapter, and then we will break it down and look at it. And so John said, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call, to be sounded by the seventh angel. The mystery of God would be fulfilled as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the little scroll and he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, 
but when I ate it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So let's break this down now and look at these verses together. First, we want to consider this mighty angel. Now, in the book of Revelation, three mighty angels appear. There are angels throughout the book, but there are three mighty angels. Uh, and only, but in this instance, the angel is described. Now, you may think of uh, an angel as a pint-sized cherub. Uh, uh, cherubs are fat babies with wings. Maybe you've seen those. Maybe they hung on your Christmas tree, or you see them in stores, or in books, or pictures, but that's not angels in the Bible. An angel in the Bible is always awesome, awesome, and to some degree awful, so much so that in the Bible, whenever anyone encounters an angel, it is a, a personally terrifying event. You remember in the shepherds, one of the phrases from the King James verses, they were sore afraid. They were absolutely terrified when they saw the angels that came to tell them about the birth of the baby Jesus. And we see here about this angel. Look at the description. He's wrapped in a cloud. He has a rainbow over his head. His face shines like the sun. His gigantic legs are like pillars of fire. His stride spans continents. He's invincible. He is mighty. He is majestic. He, he is glorious. And when he, when he speaks, the Bible says here, John indicating his voice is so loud that it can only be described in terms of a roaring lion. Now, I did a little research, and a lion's roar is about 114 decibels which puts a, the roar of a lion about the same loudness as the roar of a good-sized chainsaw. A lion can be up to 10 feet long, 4 feet tall, and weigh up to 500 pounds, and a hefty roar of a lion can be heard as much as 5 miles away. But this is a mighty angel whose stride spans continents. Think of the loudness of his roar. The only way John knows to describe it as if it was the roar of a lion. And when the lion roared, the angel spoke, the seven thunders sounded. Now we need to consider the seven thunders and the divine secret. Now in this book, as you know, we have seven lampstands, we have seven stars, we have the seven spirits of God, we have the seven churches, we have the seven trumpets, we have the seven seals, we have the seven bowls, all of those series of sevens. And now we have the seven thunders. Who in the world are they or what in the world are they? Well, thunders utter a revelation from God. And these thunders uh, apparently gave a message about the movement of the last days. But it was something that we're not meant to understand. When John heard it, Apparently, John was all excited about it, and he began to write it down, but he heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. So thunders always alert us to something God is about to do. They give us 
warnings of God's judgment. And these warnings may have been the key. Uh, these thunders, what they said may have been the key that puts together the whole story for us. But John was forbidden to tell it. It was a secret revealed to John, but it's a secret not revealed to us. It's not meant for us to know. So there are some things that God keeps in his pocket from us. There are some things that God's not going to tell us. What you remember when uh, the, Jesus ascended to heaven, just before he ascended to heaven, uh, he asked, the disciples asked him, he said, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it is not meant for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has in store. So some things aren't meant for us to know. But then this angel spoke, and he, he in verses 6 and 7, if you'll pay attention, he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But our your Bible might, be, might even say that time will be no longer. However you read that, you realize that this means the end has come. That in the days of the seventh trumpet, the angel who blows the seventh trumpet, the end has come. In the days of the trumpet called to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And so you expect the trumpet to blow, but it doesn't blow. And by the way, when it does blow, it's not the end. It's just there are another series of sevens. So that's why this book is so mysterious to us. And so the angel sounds his trumpet. No, the angel doesn't sound his trumpet. Uh, but what, uh, what takes place instead is John receives a new word from God. He said, a voice from heaven spoke to him again. Now, in you remember John is first spoken to by this voice. In the very first chapter, he said, I heard a voice behind me speaking. And he said, and I turned to see this voice that was speaking with me. And when he turned to see the voice, the voice that was speaking to John was the voice of Jesus. Jesus is directing the book of Revelation. He directs what happens. He's the one, remember, history is his story. He breaks the seals. He initiates the events. Things happen on earth when he does certain things. And so what we're seeing today, even as we watch the news, is Jesus guiding history. But also we need to understand that Jesus is still speaking. Jesus was speaking to John. And so uh, John writing down everything he says. And so this is the next thing that we need to understand and that in this book, Jesus is speaking, and he spoke to John, but he's also speaking to you, and he speaks to me. And what John receives here is a, is a new commission. So how is John going to respond to his word from the Lord Jesus Christ? So uh, don't assume that if God speaks to you once, that he won't speak to you again, that it'll be the last time. Uh, John is, is the servant of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is his master. And, and when John hears Jesus speaking, he has no option 
but to obey. No matter what Jesus tells him, he has to do it. I like, I think our motto ought to be that motto that Mary gave the servants at the wedding feast in, in Cana of Galilee. Do you remember that story? When the, the disciples came to the wedding and Jesus came and Mary came to Jesus and said, they've run out of wine. And then Mary turns to the servants and she gives them a useful piece of advice about how to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a piece of useful advice that you might take to heart today and that I might take to heart as we move into the coming year. She simply says to them, whatever he says to you, do it. That is a useful piece of advice. That's a great motto to have for the coming year. Whatever Jesus says to me, if he speaks to me, if he calls me to do something, if he asks me to make a commitment, I'm going to do it. So here's what John is faced with. He's faced with this command from heaven. Verse 8, Then the voice I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So what did John do? Verse 9, So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. Now, some people look at this angel and they say, well, this angel is obviously, he has to be the Lord Jesus Christ because he looks so much like the Lord Jesus Christ with his face shining and his legs and his awesome features. But no, this is an angel here. And John wouldn't be going up to Jesus and commanding Jesus to do something, but he goes to this angel on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, give me this scroll that is in your hand. And what John did at that moment was related to the mission that was his uh, for the rest of the message of this book and for his assignment for the future. Now what I'm showing you here, this is why the book can't be linear because at this point, this was something that John was supposed to do in time. He said, John's mission was, you are to continue to prophesy to nations, kings, peoples, and languages. There was more to the story. And so, uh, now we look at this little scroll that John received. Now, this may be a strange assignment to you that uh, for John to go and take the little scroll, but this is actually not the first time in the Bible that somebody's asked to do that. So it might be helpful for you to turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 2, and look at verses 7 through 10, and then we'll read the first three verses of chapter uh, 3. God spoke to Ezekiel and said to Ezekiel, in this, and it was a particularly difficult assignment that God was giving to Ezekiel. He said, You, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. 
Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. Chapter 3. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and in my mouth it was as sweet as honey. It's very similar to the mission that John was given here in the book of Revelation. What was the scroll? Well, we really don't know what the scroll was. Some people suggest that the scroll just might be the rest of the book of Revelation as John was supposed to write it and deliver it, and that may be the case. Some suggest that the scroll might be the Word of God itself, that what John was to do was to ingest the Word of God and ingesting it By ingesting it, the messenger, God's person, is to take it in himself and make it a part of himself so as to be able to deliver it to the people to whom he's to deliver it. So John was simply to receive this message, to make this message a part of his own person, to make it the passion of his heart, and then to go and deliver this message. There was work for John yet to do. Now, when you consider this, here's John in the midst of all this. It's a wonder John was able to survive the journey. He's a man in his 90s having all of these experiences, seeing all these things happen, and God's saying to John, I'm not finished with you. I still have work for you to do. I still have a message for you to carry. Take my message and preach it. Take it and deliver it and give it to the people who need it. One of the things that this 10th chapter of Revelation tells us is whatever state the world is in, whatever's happening in this world in which we live, we have a mission to fulfill. We have a message to deliver. John heard the seven thunders. Certainly he understood that this was a warning from God. So God's giving him an opportunity not to say what the seven thunders said, but to tell the rest of the story. Now, we don't know what the seven thunders said. We don't even understand everything that we know, everything that we can read in this book. We don't understand it. But the things that we do understand, we can share with the people around us. There are nations and peoples and languages and kings that still need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the story of God's word. They need to hear the story of Jesus. They need to know that God's judgment is coming on this world, which is what this book reveals. They need to know that Jesus Christ is coming to deliver his people, which is what this book reveals. When you stack it all together, when you put all the layers together, you get one picture, one picture, and that is of a triumphant Lord Jesus Christ come to deliver his people and to judge an unbelieving world. That's the picture of the book of Revelation. We may not understand all the details, but we have no question about the message. 
And so our assignment is to take that message, to make it a part of us, and to deliver that message. The urgency that faces us today in this service, the urgency that may face you is, what if I'm not ready? What if I'm one of these people who hasn't received the message? What if I'm a person who's not received Jesus Christ into my heart? Well, then the Bible says, says that you're in great danger, that you are outside of, of God's people, that you are cut off from God, you are separated from God, and you will be separated from God, from, from God for all eternity if you fail to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is not because God even today doesn't reach out to you, but that's because you are like the people in Ezekiel's day. Sometimes your heart is rebellious, and my heart is rebellious, but God says don't rebel anymore. Open up your heart and receive the message that I have for you and share that message with other people. And the message we have to share is a message of salvation that comes through only Jesus Christ, the great doxology that this book begins with is this, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. That is the one this book presents. And then the book ends with a one-word invitation. If you looked at the last chapter of the book of Revelation, you would find a one-word invitation that can summarize the message of the whole book because you remember seven times it says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, but not only saying to the churches, but really saying to all the earth, to everyone who will listen, the Bible says, let him who hears come. That's the one word invitation at the conclusion of this book. The spirit and the bride say, come and let him who heareth come and receive the water of life without cost. It may be today that Jesus Christ himself is calling you. Let's pray.